thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we want to encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. A few things. Um, First of all, um, I just want to encourage you as we go into uh, this summer season, I think it's a perfect season to put into practice some of the things that we've been talking about in this homecoming series. And so we created this homecoming series intentionally to help us as a church look outward and not just be inward. The temptation always is to look inward and to do what is comfortable for me. It's always more challenging and sacrificial to be focused on others. Yet, that's the way that Jesus called us to. And so we've spent the last five weeks hanging out here in Luke chapter 15, this story of the prodigal son. And we're gonna close that up today. This will be the final installment or the final message of that. But I wanna encourage you that... uh, we have, we've transitioned for the last number of years uh, since we started the church. We called that anniversary week in mid-September our anniversary. And this year, we've changed the title of that. We're going to call it Homecoming. And the goal is, is that on that Sunday, we want to uh, celebrate those people that have come to Jesus throughout the summertime. And so um, I want to encourage you that this is uh, more, than just, more than just hearing a message These are ideas that we hear from the scriptures and then we apply to our lives. And so um, mid-September, that's going to be a a, a powerful time to just celebrate baptisms, celebrate people coming home. And that's a time to cheer and to celebrate, which, by the way, is the text that we have today as we'll look once again at the party that takes place in this parable. I want to encourage you too. There's a few ways that we're going after people this summer. Number one, uh, obviously we'll, we'll have our intentional focus on the next generation. So Camp Radiant, Bold Conference. We'll have Serve Day where we're going to be intentional on the city. Um, I believe God's doing some powerful things uh, in our church as we continue to focus in on the nations. I loved. How many of you enjoyed having Andy here last week? That was amazing. And um, so that's going to just continue to grow. And I want to invite you as we do summer small groups to be thinking, Lord, what's my next step? What's my action step? So that in addition to what we do together on Sundays, what you're doing in your ministry Monday through Saturday is powerful. If you have your Bibles, let's go Luke chapter 15. We're going to go week five today. This is kind of a powerful one. And I just want to encourage you that when I say powerful, it's intense. Like um, it's kind of sweet. Like the week that Renata and I got up here and we talked about parenting out of this parable. Real sweet, real cute. Renata's pretty together. We had a nice little cute. This, this ain't that Sunday. This ain't sweet. This is, the, this is actually, for me, challenging to study it this week because it is so convicting to me personally. So I had to tell the first service that I wasn't mad because it came out with such intensity But I want to encourage you that that when Jesus spoke this parable, the context in which he spoke it was a pretty intense moment where he's looking specifically at Pharisees, the teachers of the law. So I know that we tend to think of this story and we connect with veggie tales or we connect with maybe maybe a flannel graph in Sunday school. Or we even think about maybe a a great book that we read and we love the story and we identify and we should. And we preach on that in week two about about the prodigal and about the great story of the father heart of God that loves us so dearly. But I want to encourage you that if you look at the context in the moment, the focus 
most focus that Jesus pointed at was these Pharisees, these teachers of the law that were bugged by all the people Jesus was hanging out with. Luke chapter 15. We will go all the way down to verse 25, but let's start in verse one. It says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners... So here we are, tax collectors. These are the people that betrayed. These are the people that said, we're gonna intentionally make money off of our people, the Jewish people. We're gonna walk in alignment with the Romans. We will get wealthy off of our people. And there would have been frustration towards those people. Just like you could think of people that you would be frustrated with today if they had betrayed you in that kind of way where your whole financial income is given to taxes that have increased and they're making themselves wealthy off of you. So your, your, your lifestyle is less. So there would have been pain, the tax collectors, but not just the tax collectors, the sinners. So these sinners, now this would have been for them a category, the kind of people that have just given up and they've just settled with being just sinners. And they, it would have been a whole herd of people, a whole group of people that would even be together. So it was scattered, but it was also people that would stay together. And so in that context, there's a reaction. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. So there's Jesus is teaching in such a way that those people are attracted to him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. So this is, this is cynical. This is muttering. They muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Big word right there, welcomes. So he doesn't have disdain for them. He doesn't push them out. He actually, he welcomes them and they're bugged by it. So when we read this whole thing, in verse three, it says, then Jesus told them a parable, which I find interesting because it's easy to read this and think that there's multiple parables. But singular, Luke says there's one parable because it's the same idea that comes through in this, all of these coming together as one. So it's the story of the lost sheep. It's the story of the lost coin. And it's the story of the lost son. And you would think that just by reading this, that that's where it would end. It would end after the story of the father celebrating and rejoicing at the party. So there's a great story. Hey, lost my sheep. All of heaven rejoices when the sheep is found. Lost the coin, lady lost the coin. Hey, rejoicing at the finding of the coin. Hey, lost my son. Son comes home, we embrace, kill the fattened calf, put shoes on his feet, put a ring on his finger, robe on his back. Let's feast, celebrate, boom. And potentially, if this was just how we would like it, that would, end, that, that would be a good family movie night. Just do, 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 do. Ah, celebrate, oh, it's all over. Yet, you've got those three, and now you've got the zinger. Welcome to Sunday today. Aren't you glad you came to church? Today's the zinger. Last couple of weeks, sweet, prodigal, loves you. Pray for prodigals today. Woo-hoo! Jesus looks right at the religious people. And the story doesn't end because there's an additional character. And all of a sudden, you would think it just ends. The father celebrates over the son, just like the woman with the found coin, just like the shepherd of the lost sheep. But instead, the father and the lost son, and now here's the zinger. And then he locks eyes, and he's got one more character. And if I'm honest with you, I think this is the character that I am most convicted by because this is what I have a tendency to do myself. I work with church. This is, uh, this is a, it's very easy to slowly shift into this kind of position in our heart. And Jesus looks at them and says in verse 25, meanwhile, the older brother was in the field. And when he came near the house, 
He heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but, his bro- but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never, yeah, you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Jesus, walking perfection, sinless Jesus, the one who, by looking at him, you would think, He's without sin. He's he's the furthest from being a lawbreaker. And so if you're the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you look at him and inevitably you think, hey, you're one of us. Why are you hanging out? The, The tax collectors, the sinners. Come on, Jesus. Hey, you can join the good guys. We're the we're the real followers. And and there's a, there's a muttering, there's an annoyance, there's a frustration. And Jesus comes right at these guys with this story. I don't know about you, but when I read these stories, there's this storyline that takes place in all three, and it's the story of rejoicing. So there's a rejoicing when the lost sheep is found. Heaven rejoices when the lost coin is found. And Jesus, the brilliant storyteller, he's, it's all leading up together. So a sheep goes far away. And then the shepherd goes out and brings the lost sheep home. And then there's a coin that a lady loses at home. So the sheep is lost far away. The coin is lost at home. And then Jesus brings all of it together with the lost young son and the lost older brother. And he's telling this story and he's setting it all up because he's aiming right at these Pharisees and teachers of the law that have no space in their heart for the sinners and tax collectors. With their eyes on self, with their eyes on how good they are, they have no place for the repentant sinner. Instead, their mentality, their lives are consumed with their own strengths, righteousness, ability, religious strength and how dare, how off, how annoying, how frustrating that Jesus spends time, befriends sinners, tax collectors. I mean, we get to choose our friends. I mean, we don't necessarily get to choose our relatives. We don't necessarily get to choose our colleagues. <laughs> There's a lot of things we don't get to choose, but friendships, no, we get to choose those that Jesus has chosen. He's eating with them. He's eating with the sinners and the tax collectors and they're muttering. There's a few things I want us to see. How does the older brother, how does he get to the place where he misses out on the party? We don't know exactly how it ends, but we know that at the first part of the story, he does not enter into the party. 
He does not go to the celebration. He chooses to remain outside in the field instead of at the house at the party. How do you get there? What, what, what exists in his heart to where instead of celebrating with the father, he's angry in the field. I think one of the things that you see at the beginning is where his joy is. Meaning there's, there's all the way through, there's the joy of heaven when the sheep, the coin, there's rejoicing that takes place. And there's the father's joy that is so evident. The father's joy comes through so strong. The father, in fact, the father's the happiest person in the whole parable. He's, the, I mean, the, the, the two brothers, one's lost and trying to find himself and trying to discover real joy in sin, a far off land. And the older brother, he's a grump. He's not happy. He's filled with anger and pride, malice. Yet the happiest person, the most joyful person in the whole narrative is the father, which just is helpful for us with your own view of how you think of God, as Jesus tells the story about what his father is like, or what the father is like. And in this story, there's the rejoicing over the sheep, and there's the rejoicing over the coin, but there's no rejoicing in the older brother because he doesn't rejoice in what his father rejoices in. I would think about it this way. It's kind of an interesting narrative that he paints because in a sense, the older brother, he kind of communicates a different party. So he says, I'm not going in. I'm not going to go to the father. You, you're going to, you've got a feast, a fatted calf, shoes, a robe, a ring, music, dancing to celebrate my, my younger brother. Here's what I want. You've never even given me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. So in a sense, if you kind of pull back and look at what's in his heart, his heart is to not join the father's party, but to create his own lesser party, a lesser joy. I just want to encourage you that as we go from salvation to decades of being disciples in church, it is so easy to shift from really being excited about the father's party to really kind of creating our own little small party. It's really easy to just say, hey, here's what I really want. Tell you what, because you know what? The same way that he's got accusations in his heart towards his father, it's easy for us to develop. When you don't get what you want, when you didn't get the job that you wanted, when such and such happened with your finance or your family, when, when you didn't get it, and then there was, there was the same kind of anger towards the father that the older brother has, it's easy for you and I to have. How dare you? You didn't give me the career I wanted? My children didn't turn out like I, I thought it was good. And the same way he's mad at his father, it's easy for you and I to get angry at our heavenly father. What? I thought it would turn out different. Fine, I'll stay in the house, but I'm gonna live at a distance and I'll just have a lesser joy. What I really want is just, ever been around those people that have found a lesser joy? It's not really about what's going on in the father's house because here's what the father's about. Father's about getting his lost son back. Father's about, yeah, come on, let's go. I'm looking for him. I'm running to him. I'm hugging him. I'm kissing him. I'm embracing him. I've got compassion on him. That's what exists in the father's house. So what he's doing is he's out seeking and saving the lost. That's what's in his heart. But when you've been in church for decades and decades, it's really easy to find your pet project, kind of what you like. It's about me. It's about my friends. And it's really easy to do church life and leave God out. 
And before long, you got a little remnant hanging out in the father's house, but you're so distant in your heart from the father. Actually, both sons left the father, one geographically and one relationally. Both of them said, I'm done with you. I want your wealth, but I don't want you. So the older said, I'm going I'm to pursue that by staying. Give me a goat. Give me what I deserve. And the younger said, I'll just take my inheritance and leave. And Jesus is just like the father in the way that Jesus walked planet earth, where he did life with the sinners and the tax collectors, invitation. Pharisees, teachers of the law, invitation. My father's throwing a party. You're invited. I'm inviting you. Are you coming? Both groups are invited. Both brothers are invited by the father. You and I are invited. You and I often start off like the prodigal son. At least me. Oh, I didn't deserve this. I'm saved by grace through faith. You brought me into the party. I'm saved. I am your son. I love this. Let's party. Let's go. Let's, this is awesome. And then the decades go by, and I'm pretty proud of what I've accomplished. I've worked pretty hard. I've been faithful. I've served. And you didn't give me what I want. How dare you? And slowly over time, I may be geographically present in church, but I'm distant in my heart. I can't sing the songs of celebration because I've got accusation. I'm just bucked. I'm just. Where were. Why didn't I get. Give me. I don't. I just want a goat. <laughs> I don't even want your fatty calf anymore. You're about. <sighs> Seeking lost come into the house, no God, reach the city and reach the next generation and reach the nations. That's what you're about. Here's what I'm about. Just, just, just let me create my own little thing with my friends, my goat, my party, me. And it's shifted from I'm joining into the joy of the Father's house. I'm just creating a lesser, I'm, I'm geographically close, but I'm distant in my heart. It's easy to create kind of our own. I was thinking about for Renata and I, we have uh, four children and I feel like on Saturday, we're always making the choice of which party will we go to? I mean, you've got perpetual sports. You've got so many different things that they're involved in that you literally are just like, okay, we're taxi drivers. What, which party, what will we say no to? Because there's so many good things, but we can only have limited time to choose a party. Let me tell you this. So for us, it's, is it ballet or sports? You drive here, you drive here. That kid doesn't get to go to that. But you'll either choose your own party or, or the father's party. And you've got limited decades here on planet earth. Easy to just say, tell you what, I'm so bugged with God I'll live in the church walls, but my heart is out in the field. And I'm just gonna, then you go to his motive. His older brother says, all these years I've been slaving for you. Easy to get there. I mean, easy to read the parable and say, oh, that's just, you know, in the Luke 15 text. But you know how easy it is for us to live here? 
How do you get to where you live like a slave and you end up doing work for God instead of work with God? It's that you lose relationship with God and you're doing it for approval instead of from affection. Where you're just like, but the joy of the Father's house is that you're doing life with the Father. And when there's real life with the Father, then hey, Pastor David said we're gonna do baptism in September and I'm not looking in shame and work towards trying to slave to accomplish the goal. I'm living a radiant life where I'm just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm connected with God at work and this is the joy of what we get to do because I'm doing it with God. And my motive is a person, God instead of my motive being me. When, when the motive becomes me, then I will do the ministry to get the reward I want. I want to go. I want my friends. Better motive. I want to do life with the Father. Listen, if, if you're killing a fattened calf, mm, beef sounds good to me, baby. Like Whatever, whatever party you're throwing, that's what I'm living in. Because I want to be in your house. <laughs> so the motive... If, but if the motive gets shifted and I start to function like a slave, then I become miserable doing the very thing that should be bringing joy and life. There is rejoicing in heaven. That's the whole thing that Jesus makes so clear. With the coin, shepherd, heaven rejoices. Can you imagine that what we get the privilege of partnering with God to do today on planet Earth causes heaven to rejoice? Like what you do, like even the way that we spend these next few decades that we have, two, three, four, five, six, seven decades, whatever it is, that actually makes it how happy, how much rejoicing in heaven. I mean, it's a heavenly party. So church isn't a social club that you join. No. We're participating in the party of heaven. Boom. Let's go. This is what God is doing. Jesus, he's looking at real people. Story continuing. Let me tell you about shepherd. Found the sheep. Rejoiced. Let me tell you about a lady. Lost a coin in the house. Always there found it. Maybe that's hope for the older brother. Let me tell you about a father with two sons, the younger, and then this wild story of the older. I want to invite you to think about joy. Where do you find joy? Is it in the father? What the father has? Because there is unlimited joy. That's, and that's the kind of church that we want to be. Like, I just don't want to be a church that's like, hey, here's what we'll do. We're going to do grit your teeth and bear it miserable church. And then we'll have some side fun. Hey, let's do fun in the sun at the lake. And in, let's do a volleyball tournament. And let's endure the pain of church. But at least, hey, everybody got to play sometimes. Everybody got to have some fun. I just hate that. I just, I don't think that's, I don't think, I don't, I think that manufactured fun on the side as we endure church is a miserable way to do church. 
But when there is a way to do church that brings supernatural joy, ooh, then it's not me manufacturing some fun. It's me participating in the joy of heaven. That, man, let's turn the, the music and dancing. Let's go. Because it's, what's the father about? Oh, the father's throwing a party. And a church that says, hey, we're to help people know God. And so you're on mission. You're focused. And you know him. And you walk with him. And you've got Philippians 3 in your heart. I want to know Christ. And I want to help them know Christ. And so you're focused. And it's not just what happens on Sundays. It's what's going on in your heart Monday through Saturday. And then weeks, months, but bam, you lead someone to Jesus. Ha ha! It could be at the coffee shop. It could be a small group. It could be here on a Sunday. You bring them to church. David says, hey, if you'd like to give your life to Jesus, raise your hand and you're oh, an eye open to see if the person waiting next to you is, oh, is raising their hand. That's legal. Not in the 80s, but it is now. You had to wear a three-piece suit then too. Not now, right? Why? Oh, Ooh, then you're telling your spouse, hey, this person we've been praying for, you know, we've been praying for prodigals on Wednesday nights. This person that we've served and loved and given to, they reached the end of their rope. They came down that dusty road. And then you've got, you can, it's, it's like alive. It's like, whew, I want to help them get discipled. I want to help them get co- connected and with people that know God. And I want to help with, with the way that God designed and wired them. I want them to step into what God's called them to do. And you see that transformation. It's transformed in your own life. You see it in other people. And there's some life and some joy. And it's not just, hey, we endure church. And then we do a, a little picnic to help. A little spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. No, instead, it's we're on this spiritual journey. And man, Sundays, woo, we worship and there's joy. And we see people come to know Jesus and there's joy. And we see people become disciples and disciples that want to surrender everything and kind of change the way that they live so they get closer and closer to Jesus. And people that discover they've got some real gifts and they're God-given. It's not just something manufactured or just, some, just their personality. No, there is spiritual DNA that God puts inside of people. And we are like living stones making up a house. And everybody's got the different role that they play. And then we're mobilized to go do something to literally help the next generation know God or help Kansas City come to know Jesus or make a difference in the nations or whatever it is. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, this has got some life on it. And the father says, welcome to the party. That's what I'm about. I'm about lost people, lost sons. And we're singing and we're dancing. Hey, if you have a view of God that lacks singing and dancing, read this. I'm just saying there's something in the heart of when Jesus is talking about yeah, the, the, the story of the prodigal son, he, Jesus, he's talking about himself. He's talking about two different kinds of people and his description of himself. It's got a lot of joy, a lot of singing, a lot of dancing, a lot of life. And if you run and go to the party, you get life, Zoe, life, abundant life. If you live like the older brother, it is it's religious death. It's got the, the image of close to God, but so far. It's the opposite of life. Life comes from relationship. And living close geographically. You know how you can live in a home with somebody 
And you could almost rate, you could almost talk about how close you are relationally. Like I think about even my kids who live down the hall. I could give you like, I could give you dynamics of how relationally close. And they haven't changed geographically their rooms, but I could give you relationally how close we are. You can go to church and be geographically close and think I'm in the house, but you're relationally distant. The privilege of the Christian life is how close can I get? The, the privilege of living in the father's house is the father. The older brother, he wanted the father's stuff, but not the father. The joy of the father's house is more than what he gives to who he is. And I see the older brother missing out on joy. I see the older brother with the wrong motive. And then the older brother, he loathes his younger brother. All right, pop quiz. Is there anybody that you can imagine in your head thinking, I hope they are not in heaven? Pop quiz. You might have a little older brother in you. Because that's, I mean, these people, that's what they're thinking. They're thinking, Jesus, how could you befriend them? Jesus, them? I think all of us can get a little older brother in us. But we're not just grateful in grace, in gr grateful for the grace that Jesus has given us. It's not just gratitude. All is a gift. Over time, we can develop some of the older brother's anger, jealousy, bitterness, malice. <laughs> Jesus is kind of juxtaposing two different ways of being lost. The older and the younger. The way that they pursued what they wanted looked different. Um, how, do we, how do we step out of it? How do we not get the older brother syndrome dynamic in us? I think that the way that the father looks at the older brother gives us stair steps out. He looks at me and says, my son, which I just love that. Here's the older brother being a total jerk. And the father looks at him and says, my son. And he speaks identity. If you can come back in your time alone with Jesus each day and say, here I am again, your son, your daughter, not how I perform, not based upon my own merit or what I accomplished yesterday, but based upon the grace of God, I belong to you. I'm yours. It sure softens the heart to not become the older brother, proud, hard heart, my son. Don't you just, isn't that amazing? Because essentially that's what Jesus is saying right there to those Pharisees and teachers of the law. It's kindness, my son. You're always with me. Oh, your presence. If you become someone that loves the presence of God, Psalm 16 says that there's joy in his presence. You just love his presence you'll be surprised how much you'll delight in living like a son or daughter, not a slave. Oh, I love his presence. That can look different. Some people, I mean, some people alone with God at a coffee shop. Some people alone with God in their car. Some people here gathering in the congregation. Some people praying for other people's interests. Some people serving. And when I do this, I feel God's pleasure. But just being close relationally 
I love his presence, love relationship. My son, you're always with me. And then that last phrase, and all that I have is yours. This is a great one. This is my favorite thing to say to my kids when they come and try to take my clothes out of my closet. All that I have is yours. What's available to us that we've never touched? One Bible commentator said, uh, hey, you never asked for a goat. What do you want? All that I have is yours. You become a person that is an asker instead of accusation towards God. So I just go out into the field and hang out with my friends. Father, I'm asking. And then name it like a, like a son, like a daughter. I am my son. Identity. I'm your son. I belong to you. I don't stand before you because I've been perfect. I stand before you because Christ was perfect. I'm your son, daughter. You're always with me. I'm always with you. Man, finish work. Holy Spirit is coming, taking up residency inside of me. And now I get to do life with God. This is the kind of life worth living. And the riches of the kingdom belong to me because of you. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ has done. Hallelujah. And you get those things alive inside of you. And you won't be the older brother. You'll live in joy, on mission with Jesus, seeking and saving the lost. And God, that's what I love. I was in Washington, D.C. about 10 years ago. Uh, Dick Eastman, who is the president of Every Home for Christ, said he got sick. And he said, David, um, will you go be my representative and represent me at these meetings in Washington, D.C.? So I said, sure. And uh, I was in my mid-30s. I show up and I go to the meetings. And on the itinerary at night, it says there's a party. And so I will dress up, go to the party. When I go to the party, they check my ticket. <laughs> I get there and I mean, I'm the, everybody there's at least 20 years older than me, you know, and it's the presidents of all these different ministries and all of these different well-known business people within kind of evangelicalism. I'm just standing at the party and you know, at the party, I didn't look at anybody and say, I'm leaving. No, I was confident. I'm here, baby. Let's go. But I didn't look at them and say I'm confident because of what I had accomplished. <laughs> I hadn't accomplished anything. I was a scrub youth pastor <laughs> with a big smile. The reason why I was there was because of Dick Eastman. And Dick Eastman had given me the ticket. It wasn't because of my status. It wasn't because of what I had done. It was because of who he is and what he had done. And he gave me the ticket and I partied. I ate those people came around with like those big plates where you put food on the plate. I'd never been to a party that nice before. They were like, would you like one, sir? And I was like, I'll take two, three, four, five, six. Yes, I do. 
Can you come back later? You know, like I sat at the table, everybody there, small talk. Well, we reached 25 billion people for Jesus last year. Well, we raised a hundred gazillion dollars last year. What do you do? What's up? It's not about what I do. I don't even want to tell you. I'm a youth pastor. I just said, oh, I'm representing Dick Eastman. He's the one that got me in. We've got an invitation to the party. It's nothing that you've done. It's nothing that I've done. It's what Jesus has done. Jesus looks at the people that think it's about them. And he goes, oh, no, no, no. I'm a friend of sinners and tax collectors. Don't miss the party. Jesus is saying it's all about me. All you need is a yes. And friends, I don't know how many decades we have, but there's a party. It's not now. It's then. There's a party in heaven when one sinner comes to repentance. And we could throw a lesser party. You could make it about you. Or you could be just so in love with Jesus that you say, I, I want to join that party. That's a better party than anything I could create. And the superior joys of eternity far surpass the temporary happiness of planet earth. Join that party. It's yours by invitation from Jesus. You say yes, not anything that you've earned or your own merit, but because of Christ. We bow your heads with me. The father throwing a party for lost sons and daughters that want to come home. Today, maybe you say that's me. I'm prodigal. But I want to come home. And if that father really runs, hugs, sees, has compassion, over lost sons and daughters. I want that embrace from the Father today. I want to come home. If that's you today, I just want to invite you to just raise your hand wherever you're at. Just raise it up and put it right back down. Will you pray this prayer with me just in your seat? Father, I'm coming home. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place for my sin. I surrender my life to you. Save me. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me? To put your hand on your heart. Father, we come before you as Radiant Church. And God, we're asking in Jesus' name, give us your heart. God, we just confess it's so easy to make our lives about our own hobbies and our own interests. 
but we want the interest of heaven. We want what you care about to be in us. So come, mark us as a church. We wanna live, Lord God, where prodigals come home. We want a heart that celebrates. We want a heart that would never stay in the field. We always run to the party because we care about what's in your heart. So do a fresh work in us, God. Take each one of us, mold us, craft us. Turn us into people that care about what's on your heart. Father, take what we give. We give you everything. We give you our lives. God, we give you. God, I thank you for what you're doing, Lord Jesus, here in Kansas City. Thank you for what you're doing in the next generation. God, thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you're doing. God, thank you for the report from South Africa. God, we just want to be a part of what you're doing. We love you. We give you our songs. We give you our time. We give you our dollars. We give you everything.